the decision was made to kick us out of Afghanistan. And, and then over a month later, when the investigation was finalized, and then we see, uh, you know, when a general makes a decision and a head of the state, I mean, Karzak condemns us, and they kick us out. You know, we've never seen a general in the American army ever go back and say, oops, got that one wrong. Uh, so the investigation was designed and it stated that seven of us be, they recommended be charged with homicide. An excerpt from today's returning guest, who's back for part two of a powerful conversation about how his men were wrongly accused of a war crime in Afghanistan. Author and retired U.S. Marine Major Fred Galvin is here, and I'll speak with him right after this break. I'm Robert Child, and this is Point of the Spear. Summer is a great time for catching up on military history. And my book about the seven Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II is out now. Immortal Valor chronicles these timeless heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle until their ultimate triumphs. I hope you check out the book or audiobook, which is available now in stores and online. Welcome back. Today's returning guest served 27 years in the U.S. Marine Corps, beginning as a 17-year-old who rose from the enlisted ranks to become an officer. His book is called A Few Bad Men, The True Story of U.S. Marines Ambushed in Afghanistan and Betrayed in America. I continue my conversation with Major Fred Galvin by asking him more about the Court of Inquiry. Talk about the, uh, the crusade, though, that you went on to clear your unit's name. Yes. 14-year crusade. Yes. And it's still actually in progress now, 15 years after the trial. Uh, because as we see, I mean, this book just came out this month. The Marine Corps has not provided any type of response. There's been no acknowledgement as far as that this even happened. Um, and just like when throughout history, whether it was the uh, rescue attempt of the Americans that were in Tehran uh, in 1980, and there was uh, tactical failures, um, not just set back them, the mission failed. And, uh, but Delta Force didn't look at that as like their finest hour or a, a horrible defeat. They analyzed it as a lesson learned to improve and to see what happened right and wrong and how they can improve themselves. Uh, the Marine Corps has never done this. The SEALs, uh, SEAL Team 6, their very first action uh, in Central America in the 80s resulted in similar type of casualties. Uh, when units such as the Marine Corps and our task force, the very first to deploy, uh, stand up to do great things, uh, sometimes things don't always go right. And I'm not saying everything we did was right. We had a pre-deployment training phase that, uh, you know, we really set a high standard and everyone was stating like, you know, these Marines are the most highly trained that was coming out in the court of inquiry that, you know, these guys had set an unprecedented standard. They were the best that we had at the time. And that's not me stating that that's from the court of inquiry. Um, but you had a lot of jealousy because of that, not just in the Marines, but the army didn't like how, you know, we were taking a lot of resources 
we were the competition, Rob. This is kind of like bringing your mistress over to meet the missus. You're dethroning someone, taking resources away that involve physical finances, money, and power, uh, taking missions away. It's literally like, you know, having the mistress come over. Uh, it's unwanted, extra competition. So there is this rivalry. There's this desire to destroy as quick as we can or discredit at a minimum. And uh, so when this happened, this incident in Afghanistan, uh, there was a rush to judgment. Uh, the investigating officer came out. He investigated and interviewed the, the first two vehicles. Uh, he eventually interviewed all six of the vehicles, all 30 personnel that were on the patrol. Uh, but it, interviewing only the first two vehicles, he made a decision. This was prior to talking to any Afghans, any at all. He made the decision was made to kick us out of Afghanistan. And, and then over a month later, when the investigation was finalized, then we see, uh, you know, when a general makes a decision and a head of a state, Hamid Karzai condemns us and they kick us out. You know, we've never seen a general American army ever go back and say, oops, got that one wrong. Uh, so the investigation was, designed and it stated that seven of us be they recommended be charged with homicide um, and they alleged that we killed 19 and wounded 50 and uh, they just took the afghans word the in this taliban controlled village right on the afghan pakistan border at face value and then they turned that um, that article 15-6 which is a preliminary investigation by the Major General Frank Kearney, who was the head of all special operations in the Middle East at that time, they turned that over to the Special Operations Command and the Central Command and who turned it over to the Marine Corps. And the Marine Corps appointed uh, as the convening authority to be in charge of this uh, criminal investigation. Uh, they turned it over to the Marine Central Command, all the Marines in the Middle East, and that was led at that time by Lieutenant General Jim Mattis. And everybody uh, reveres and they genuflect towards and they think uh, he's just this great guy. Um, well, General Mattis had uh, the sworn testimony of all 30 personnel who were on the patrol. They had, he had my polygraph from the president of the American Polygraph Association that was also validated by the Texas and Georgia Departments of Safety, Public Safety, and uh, to show that there was no deception indicated, the two relevant questions being, you know, did I see any civilians killed and did my Marines fire at any civilians? Answers, no and no, no deception indicated. I was on the patrol. It's happened at nine o'clock in the morning. I saw everything that happened. And that's when it turned into investigations gone wild. 45 criminal investigators and four prosecuting attorneys coming after the seven of us in an effort to do whatever it took to reinforce the decisions that had been made to kick us out and to, you know, what all this slander that was going on in the press, Rob, it was overwhelming. And the Marine Corps wasn't doing anything uh, to defend us. You had Major General Kearney, who I mentioned was in charge of all the special operations in the Middle East. He was going out and slandering us in the Washington Post repeatedly. And then you had the Battle Space Commander, an Army Colonel, uh, from Afghanistan who made a 
press conference to the Pentagon press corps, Reuters, everyone was there. He said, this was a terrible, terrible mistake. This is a stain on our honor that Americans killed innocent Afghan civilians. And when you have these senior officers making these unprecedented mistakes, well, and the Marine Corps won't stand up and say anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we got dogpiled on by these criminal investigators. They literally threatened, they immediately sent us, sent these criminal investigators out to Kuwait uh, and threatened one Marines. I mean, he was born and raised in Mexico, legally immigrated, was legally naturalized, legally joined the Marine Corps. And his crime was that he raised his right hand and answered his new country's call to fight during a time of war. And he was driving the vehicle, that second vehicle, the ambulance that was blown up. Um, and, but they, they sensed, you know, a vulnerability, oh, you know, a lot of immigrants, depending on when you come over, you may not understand the full constitution, specifically the 14th amendment and whether you're native born or nationalized, probably didn't ever know and understand that you can't have your citizenship revoked. Uh, so they threatened to deport his mother unless he signed their manufactured statement, which he signed in duress. He was coerced into signing what they created. And he admitted that on the stand. But this kangaroo court that we went into in January, this is the longest trial in Marine Corps history, but we went into this courtroom and uh, we were just getting shelled. So the prosecution would go in there and they would state, you know, their, this was not a court martial, this is a court of inquiry. So there was literally no embellishment. There's no rules of evidence. They can say everything. You can present conjecture. So the uh, prosecution would go in there and opine this and that. And that was on the record. So the media is scribbling this down. And then we would go to our defense hearing uh, with defense witnesses, with exculpatory evidence. And the, in a court of inquiry, they have a legal advisor. And that Marine colonel would say, we're going to classified sessions. So during all of the defense witnesses, not just the witnesses, I'm talking also character witnesses that hadn't even been to Afghanistan. They're just saying, hey, I, I knew Fred Galvin growing up. He's a good guy. Right. Nothing classified to say. All of that, the media was out of the courtroom. So you just got one side of the truth. So this type of information warfare, which the enemy can do to us and we can do the enemy when it's approved, but we can't do it against our own troops. We can't do it against the American people. But that went on and on and on for three and a half weeks, the longest trial in Marine Corps history. We'll be back to the conversation in a moment. Kicking off season three of Point of the Spear on August 3rd, Army veteran and New York Times bestselling author Don Bentley will be here to talk about his latest thriller, Hostile Intent, as well as his military service. After college, I spent 10 years in the Army as a uh, Apache helicopter pilot. One of those was a uh, one-year deployment to Afghanistan as an air cavalry troop commander. When a Blackhawk or Chinook um, would go and, and transport people and equipment from from fob to fob, um, Apaches would uh, provide gunship support for it. That's next time. Now let's get back to the conclusion of my conversation with Major Fred Galvin, author of a few bad men. When was this trial? This was a court of inquiry. It's a war crimes trial that happened in Camp Lejeune from 7 to 29 January uh, 2008. Okay. Uh, that's where we were tried and we were exact, we were exonerated. It took them four months. They waited, you know, through the 
the winter months, there's very few federal holidays. So they waited till Memorial Day and the Marines have a four day weekend. Uh, and they released it to Estes Thompson, who was in the court of inquiry. Only there was several reporters, but they only said it to one. Uh, they put it on a Friday night news dump to Estes Thompson. Uh, they didn't use legal terms such as innocent or guilty or dismissed. They said we acted appropriately. Uh, so the press just ran with that for seven more years. I continue to serve seven more years. And uh, the even till the, the on the day I retired, Rob, I had this hit article out on me. It said, you know, Fred Galvin, you know, retires. He's, you know, in charge of the task force that killed 19 and wounded 50. Um, and that's when I started to fight back after I moved back to Kansas and uh, was my family. And this was still going on in the media. The Marine Corps had never set the record straight. They used these milly mouth, non-legal terms, acted appropriately to the largest you know, number of Afghan alleged civilians that were killed during the entire war in Afghanistan by machine guns. Uh, they just let it go. You know, they wouldn't answer it. And so that's when I started this campaign to set the record straight. Uh, we did have a gag order placed on us by General Mattis. Uh, so we couldn't say anything to the press. Uh, that was no longer enforceable after I retired and uh, went out and told the truth to the public. And uh, that's what this book, A Few Bad Men, I fought for 11 years to have the Freedom of Information Act request approved now it is, and all this information is in one source here in the book, A Few Bad Men. So this isn't, when you get into the courtroom, this isn't Fred Galvin's, this is what happened to me, this is what I thought. It's their sworn testimony, right. which they thought, hey, this is a classified session. I'm a made man. This isn't going to be heard. There's no media here. I'll tell the truth so I don't get perjured, but it's not going to come out in the public domain where I'm going to get... Uh, in any kind of trouble, uh, you just see and read these accounts one after another where these senior officers betrayed their own, you know, troops and they fall on their sword. They generally explain what happened. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, I can't believe not only that this happened in the way that they said, but that these guys got away with that level of betrayal and lying and being caught lying on the stand. And what happened? They all got promoted. Uh, <laughs> you just read this and like, that's why this important. The story is so important, and I say that because right now, yesterday, uh, one member of the Special Operations Command was tried in the Washington D.C. Navy Yard. Two of his colleagues were tried on Friday, uh, similar trial on a case that happened in Iraq. Theirs was called the Marsoc Three. Is there's three personnel. Ours happened in Afghanistan. Uh, separately, unrelated, but there were seven of us. They called us the Marsoc Seven. But since these problems have never been fixed and they've just been buried and covered up, it is actually happening again right now. That's why it's so important for America to understand this. How do they understand? They listen to this. You can get a few bad men on audio. You can go on Amazon, get it on Audible, listen to it today. You can buy the book. Uh, either in Kindle or hardback and understand the facts of what went on. And if America, I mean, we, when you take out all the entitlements and you're looking at non-discretionary spending, this is the number, the department of defense is what we spend the most money on. Right. So you're paying full price. 
there's no discount. And what's the return on investment? If we have a hollow force, everybody's been reading all the news reports on how we can't meet our recruiting goals. It's not because our troops are being worn out with deployment after deployment right now. That is no longer happening. You know, it's, we have a morale issue in the United States military and we can't get people to join. We can't get people to be retained. And when we look at what's going on in Russia, it's no longer, well, it's because it's the winter or the logistics problems. It's because they lied to the Russian people. They lied to their own Russian army that this was going to be some exercise. Obviously, we know that's not what happened. They went in. There's civilians being killed. Uh, they have a problem with morale. What their generals and senior leaders in their government are doing is not supported by the frontline foot soldiers. We have the same kind of issue where our frontline troops do not have the confidence of of our senior leaders. That's a big problem when there's still this treaty. It's expired, but trust me, all those names on the tops of the buildings around the Pentagon or over when you fly into D.C., whether it's uh, Dulles or Reagan, and you see all those buildings around the intelligence community in Langley or around the Pentagon, right. all those people want more than what's going on right now with all this money going to weapons to arm the Ukrainians. If, if there's an opportunity and the Chinese start rattling their sabers and push 96 miles across the streets of Taiwan and lodge in Taiwan, I would put all of my money that I have that Lockheed, Boeing, Raytheon, all these defense firms are going to push their Geppettos. You know, they're going to have their little puppets in Congress. We're going to go to war with China and it's going to be a very costly, long and expensive war as we do amphibious and airborne operations to in an attempt to dislodge the Chinese from Taiwan. Um, and to do that with a force that is led by commanders that are not competent and have low troops that have low morale. That's the recipe for disaster. That's where we're at right now, America. So um, read the book, a few bad men understand what has happened and where we're currently at and, you know, do what we're supposed to do. Hold our leaders, those members of Congress accountable for what has happened. The Marine Corps has never admitted to doing anything wrong They've never admitted that this even happened. Uh, that is, that sets us up for massive problems in the future. And what's Master. going on with today's soldiers in court as these MARSOC 3, read about the MARSOC 3. <laughs> I don't want to go into detail on it. It's a disgusting and disturbing case that's going on right now because we've never fixed this problem. Look it up, folks, the MARSOC 3. And the book is called A Few Bad Men. Major Galvin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Rob. Appreciate it. It's been an honor. It's my honor, sir. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for joining me. Kicking off Season 3 of Point of the Spear on August 3rd, Army veteran and New York Times bestselling author Don Bentley will be here to talk about his latest thriller, Hostile Intent, as well as his military service. After college, I spent 10 years in the Army as a uh, Apache helicopter pilot. One of those was a uh, one-year deployment to Afghanistan as an Air Cavalry Troop Commander. When a Black Hawk or Chinook um, would go and, and transport people and equipment from, from FOB to FOB, um, Apaches would uh, provide gunship support for it. That's next time. And if you like what you hear, leave a review or a rating or just click the follow button. 
Be sure to check out our Point of the Spirit YouTube channel with bonus video material plus full military history documentaries. There's tons to explore, and I hope you check it out. I'm Robert Child, and this has been Point of the Spirit. Music licensed from audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.